This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Danny Vorpig. We are back. That's right, Geek Gab for Saturday, July 23rd, 2016, episode 61. So, John, how was your week? It's been a good week. Lots of geeking, lots of gaming. How's yours, Brian? Well, better now that I've heard that you had such a tremendous week. But so have I. So that's the cherry on the top. Um, was getting a lot of writing done, making a lot of progress on the third Soul Cycle book. So really happy with that. And uh, I, I seem to have discovered a new effective marketing technique for my books, which is running anti-tour attack ads. People really like them a lot. <laughs> do you have actual proven sales increases from them? Yes, I do. And uh, testimonials from satisfied customers who said that the ads are the reason they bought it and they, they love the ads. So right now you can get both of my books, Ethereal and Soul Dancer, for less combined than one John Scalzi Old Man's War book. How about that? <laughs> Sounds like a deal to me. Yeah, and then uh, finally, other publishing news... I have just made a deal with another fellow Hugo nominee in this year's Hugos to produce some promotional artwork for Soul Dancer, and that should be unveiled rather soon. I'm also teaming up with uh, a friend of mine, Ian Hagen, who runs the blog where he posts these uh, stats for surreal role-playing game items and weapons. I think I think you dig it. Uh, I'm. You have piqued my interest, sir. Lucky well, just. Uh, yeah, will, sorry, go ahead. Will there be links in today's description? I can get it to you. His site is linked through Kairos. Now, let me find that for you. But uh, for one example, his most recent item is a set of jeweled gloves that can summon a gun made out of smoke that fire bullets that travel via Brownian motion. You had me at Brownie. Sounds kind of <laughs> random. Yeah. Yeah, you actually like have to use statistics and kind of roll to see, like to determine the hit. It's it's too complex to explain here on the air, but I'll I'll get the link here. Oh, I look forward to it. Mr. Warpig, how about you? Uh, it has been a very busy week due to. S- uh, circumstances that are beyond the scope of this show to discuss. Oh, I, it, it's always sad when one of us has uh, such a busy week that one cannot be sufficiently geeky. Um, but but I did watch this week all of Stranger Things on Netflix. Um, What's that? Stranger Things, Netflix has, since Hollywood decided to play hardball with Netflix and try to drive them out of business. This is Hollywood's genius idea. Let's take a company whose entire job it is to market our material to people who aren't buying it uh, and who are giving us hundreds of millions of dollars. Let's take this company who's giving us hundreds of millions of dollars and try to drive them out of business. This is Hollywood's genius idea. Because Hollywood is smart like that. 
So after this assault on their business plan, Netflix began investing their hundreds of millions of dollars in profit in a series of original TV shows, one of the fruits of which was their collaboration with Marvel on the Daredevil series, uh, Daredevil Season 1, the Jessica Jones series, Daredevil Season 2, and the upcoming Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Dare uh, Defenders series, and also a Punisher series. And uh, there are, if you have a Netflix membership, you can go through and scroll through their original series, and it goes on and on and on. There's House of Cards, starring Kevin Spacey, a comedy called Orange is the New Black, which I don't like at all, but which people seem to really, really enjoy. There is a uh, historical drama called oh, it, it, about uh, Kublai Khan and about... Um, the journey, the explorer who went and journeyed east. Um, Brian, you've got to help me here. I can't even Marco remember Polo. the name. Apologies. Um, Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Thank you. I knew Brian would would know that name. Something and else I know, really, really quick, in regard to Orange Is the New Black. Uh, you might not like it, but it does feature a book by a friend of the show, Larry Korea, in one episode. Oh yeah, they they have his book on the on a bookshelf at the prison library. Um. So there are, 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 and they have also uh, an entire series about making a murderer, which is about a, a, a person who is convicted of being a serial killer who may not have been guilty, but who may have been guilty. And they have lots and lots of one-off documentaries. And so Netflix has become, in effect, its own television network. And the thing about Netflix that is great, that Amazon Prime, which is also doing the same thing, does not do. And this is to Amazon Prime's detriment. This is a big, big mistake in this day and age. Netflix realizes that what people like to do is binge watch. So what they do is they release every single episode of the series all at once. So Daredevil has 13 episodes. Rather than stage the 13 episodes out every Monday for uh, four months, three months, and a, a week, they just drop all 13 episodes at once. So if you wanted to, as soon as they debut, you could sit there and watch them all for 13 straight hours and see the entire series at once. And it doesn't seem to hurt them at all. In fact, it seems to drive people to subscribe. So... Stranger Things is one of these Netflix original series. And it is an eight-episode series. It stars Winona Ryder um, and a number of other, uh, or at least a couple of other bigger names that you may recognize. And it is set in the 1980s. It is basically what you might get if you took... Three-fourths Stephen King and one-fourth Steven Spielberg and mixed them together and stirred up well and had them make a TV series. It begins with four friends playing Dungeons and Dragons in the basement of a family house. I'm subscribed. It's, I'm in. Yeah. And... On their way home, on one kid's way home from Dungeons and Dragons, something unexpected happens, and he disappears. 
what happened to that kid, where he went, and what caused it is the un overarching mystery of the entire season. Please tell me they cut to a Geraldo-style show where they, uh, they're sure he was kidnapped by Satanists. No. That, no. Just make it period perfect. No, no. Um, there is an evil CIA program. I'm not giving away any spoilers because you find about, out about this all within the first few minutes uh, of this disappearance. This show packed more thrills and chills uh, into its first introductory scene than most shows do in, in their entire run. It was spectacularly well done, very well acted, um, brilliantly shot, and although they didn't quite hit the right feel of the 1980s, they gave it a really, really good try, and frankly, it's really hard to hit the 80s anyway. The 80s were a decade that was really, really easy to parody and really hard to get inside. And the nice thing is this entire show is set in a small town, and there is 0% contempt for small-town people and small-town uh, life. And the other really cool thing is all of the characters have all of the primary characters have unexpected turns, and some of the characters that you write off as being kind of one-note uh, one cliches turn out to surprise you. In fact, one character did it twice on me in the same episode, and so I was very, very pleased. It's very tightly plotted up until the end, up until the last episode when they had to set up the second season, and that was a little bit disappointing, but it's eight episodes, and uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I just had a, a lot of fun. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's a thriller, so it is It is not a bloody jump scare slasher horror show, but it is very much a uh, mystery show, very much a ominous, slow-developing show, character-oriented, but it is well-written, well-acted, and it just kept me engrossed the whole run. I loved it. Oh, that sounds really good. So, that was a good kickoff to a very bad week. Uh, I don't mean bad as in, it, it just, it's been a very hard week. A very busy week. That's okay. You, we get to let everything go and, and, and bask in the geekiness of popular culture. Here, here. So, question. I've heard a lot of people compare Stranger and Stranger to J.J. Abrams' Super 8. Have both of you gentlemen seen Super 8? I have seen Super 8. Not me. Okay. So, since Daddy Warpig, you've seen both. Do you believe those comparisons are warranted? Stranger Things is much, much better than Super 8. Super 8 is really, really shallow fan fiction of E.T. And Stranger Things it very definitely rummages through Stephen King's trope uh, toy box. Imagine all these Stephen King tropes set in a big toy box. Stranger Things basically pops the lid of 1980s Stephen King, not modern Stephen King, but 1980s, late 1970s Stephen King, pulls out some of Stephen King's tropes and makes a whole bunch of new stuff with it. They don't copy Stephen King. They're not writing Stephen King fan fiction. 
Um, but they take a bunch of his tropes and make new stuff with it. And let me explain that, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of weeks, especially in connection with Star Trek... Uh, not Star Trek, excuse me, in connection with uh, the last Star Wars movies and uh, the last few seasons of Supernatural. What's the difference between derivative fan fiction and what's the difference between making something new with the same tropes? And here's the thing. Derivative fan fiction is all about using the character, the characters of Crowley and that angel again and again and again because fans love them and you want to show the, give the fans what they like and so you just keep on using them and using them and using them until they're just worn out. They're not that cool anymore. They're not that special anymore because they've been overused. That's fan fiction. That's derivative. Um, do you see what I'm saying, Brian? Oh, exactly. Because I have this discussion about Super 8 and The Force Awakens you know, to tear open uh, an old wound and it just seemed to me and the commenter on my blog that sometimes when you you'll get a lesser talent who attempts to pay homage to his betters without realizing how vast the gulf in skill is and obviously Spielberg's a genius say what you want about Lucas's dialogue and politics and overlines on CG but in his prime, he was an unequaled master of visual storytelling. I mean, the designs he came up with are still unsurpassed today. You know, you still have kids playing with X-Wings and Y-Wings and uh, TIE Fighters. So, Lucas was a master of the visual medium of film, okay? And if you look at the opening shot of New Hope with the Star Destroyer Devastator you know, buzzing the atmosphere of Tatooine, chasing the blockade runner. That tells you everything you need to know about the movie. It tells you the Empire is strong and oppressive. The rebellion is weak, but plucky and, and daring, and it shows the power differential. You contrast that with the opening scene of Force Awakens, where we have a, a flat, colorless object. The screen is almost totally dark, and it eventually becomes totally dark, as with a angle shot, the Star Destroyer eclipses the moon, and it really tells us nothing, and it looks like a shadow puppet. So this over-reliance on things that the audience already knows and the audience already loves is what has blighted the last several seasons of Supernatural. They're just rehashing and rehashing and rehashing things the audience already knows, and the new stuff they've stuck in there just isn't very interesting. Um, like Frankenstein's family. Um, an entire dynasty of Frankenstein monsters. Um, that doesn't even make sense. It, it, I'm not even going to go into it. It's terrible. Um, yeah, let's not. Well, you're right. It gets to the point where it, it's really a form of creative cowardice where they, they take the easy way out and they think, well, we'll just keep showing the audience something they're familiar with over and over again so we don't have to put in the work of creating something new. Well, that's exactly what Into Darkness was. It was basically they just took Wrath of Khan, dumped it in a mixer, and dumped it in a mixer, a blender, and then relayed it out. They didn't do anything new or interesting with it. Whereas Stranger Things, the Netflix original series, what they do is they go to the Stephen King and the Steven Spielberg toy boxes, they lift some of the tropes out. 
they take some of the tropes out. And you can recognize the tropes. If you've read Stephen King, if you've seen E.T., they don't have aliens necessarily. Uh, actually, I shouldn't have said that. Not because it was a spoiler, but because that may not actually be true. I may have just misled you. I'm going to shut up about that. (laughs) There are things that maybe could be possibly, depending on the way you look at them, considered that, or they might be considered some other things. If you looked at it in a different direction, they could be considered something else. So you'd have to watch the series and and come to a conclusion for yourself. Anyways, they took out a bunch of Stephen King tropes that if you read Stephen King in the the 1980s, um, and they even lampshaded at one point, Hmm. Um, later on in the series, and use these tropes to build a story of their own, to build their own characters out of it, to build their own plot out of it, to build their own events out of it, and to add a bunch of new stuff of their own, and they trust the audience to come along with them and follow them, and they make it interesting. And so... That's why I like the show is that they are using tropes and they're making something good and they have the confidence in their material to do something with it. It is not just um, it is not just some uh, it's not just some rehash of uh, Stephen King fan fiction. So. Do you have actual proof? I hear ya. Alright, that's my review of, of, of Stranger Things. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, please, if, uh, if you're interested, if it sounds at all interesting... Go watch it. It's uh, eight episodes. I really, really enjoyed it. If you enjoy the first episode, you'll probably enjoy the whole series. If the first episode, you don't like it at all, it doesn't click with you, you won't enjoy the whole series. So the first episode is very, very, uh, is a very, very good indicator of what you're going to get in the rest of the series. So sounds pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly building up a backlog of things I have to watch, and, and as soon as it gets large enough, I may actually resubscribe to Netflix if they keep coming out with good stuff. Um, okay, somebody in the chat has asked me, how do I feel about the Shadow film? Was that the one with uh, Alec Baldwin? Because yeah, there have been multiples, but I think it's safe to assume that that's what he means. I've never seen the one with Alec Baldwin. I assume it's bad because it's got Alec Baldwin and it's looked bad when I've... Uh, no, it's good. Is it? It's good. Even Razor Fist likes it, and I, I agree with him. Um, I think it's criminally underrated. All right, I'll have to, I'll have to add that in onto my, you know, want-to-watch film. Uh I, I've never been a shadow guy, even after, uh, you know, reading all the good things Razor Fist has to say about it. I don't know. I tell you, my entire exposure to the Shadow came from a... um, There used to be a company that put out cassette tapes of old-time radio shows, and my family bought, I think, three of them for me, one of which was the 1939 War of the Worlds, um, one of which was the Who's On First... Uh, Abbott and Costello routine, and one of which was an episode of The Shadow. 
And so I remember that from, and this is when I was, uh, you know, when I was, I think, 12. So I remember that line from the radio, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? A shadow knows. So. That was pretty good. By the way, archive.org has like 200 episodes of the original Shadow radio show with supplementary interviews and commentaries. I, I downloaded like 79 of them from a different site the other day, so I've got those to listen to as well. Yeah, John C. Wright recommended a particular episode. Um, I think it's called Death from the... It was, it was really good. Um, all right, so uh, that was my review. We've got about no, almost ten minutes left. I hear somebody saw Star Trek Beyond this week. Speaking Am I the of... only one? Am I the only one who's seen this? Yeah, pretty sure. Well, I mean, on on the one hand, uh, shame on you for for not going out and seeing Star Trek. Uh, I hereby revoke your nerd cred. Uh, on the other hand, it wasn't really uh, wasn't really um, marketed very well. I actually forgot that it was coming out until yesterday. Uh, but I, I did. I went and saw it. it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, after after into Star Trek Into Darkness, I I mean, I guess everybody had sort of written the whole thing off. But um, but this one uh, this one was a an original script. It was actually written by Simon Pegg, um, the guy from Shaun of the Dead and and those movies, who also plays Scotty in the new Star Wars series. Well, Simon Pegg needs no introduction here, sir. <laughs> with you. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, I love, I like that guy. Yeah. So he wrote the movie. Um, well, him and someone else, they they were co-credited with the uh, with writing. Um, so this is a, a totally original script, but it, you know what? It it does follow the same sort of uh, familiar, um, the familiar uh, path uh, and plotting of of a Star Trek movie. Um, he sort of he open the, the movie opens with this, you know the the crew on a diplomatic mission uh, with uh, James T Kirk providing a gift to some alien world and uh, it, naturally it goes hilariously bad and and you know they have to beam him out and escape and uh, typical shenanigans. I mean and and the movie opens up with you know revisiting all the characters you know wh- what have they been doing in the past couple of years. Um, and after after the movie bores you, uh, you actually get into the actual plot of the movie, uh, and, uh, and and it picks up, and it's it's very similar to the uh, other new Star Trek movies where uh, it's it's not a thinking uh, piece like the old Roddenberry Star Trek. It's it's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of fun, a lot of um, clever tricks and and things going boom and. Can you tell it was directed by the guy who directed many of the Fast and the Furious movies? Absolutely, and and uh, and I'm still um, I'm totally amazed that they worked this into a Star Trek movie. I'm going to spoil one uh, in tiny minor detail. They somehow worked um, James T. Kirk riding a motorcycle around on on a planet into into a Star Trek movie. Without it sucking? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no! It sucked. That oh, okay. That that yeah. part sucked. That's not really a spoiler because it was in one of the trailers. I mean, I guess. Oh, was it? I hadn't seen that. That's, that's what I mean. It was so um, the marketing was so weak. Uh, I I had forgotten it came out. Yeah, anybody remember uh, Patrick Stewart's Dune buggy from Nemesis? Yes. Oh. The shades of that. 
So yeah, there's yes, of course, there's a conflict with uh, you know a villain who's uh, doing bad things on a planet, and they have to go to the planet and rescue people and stop the bad guy. Um, after the movie gets going, after the beginning, um, the the plotting goes pretty quickly. Like uh, they, they don't really waste. The only time you sit there in the theater uh, wondering why is this movie wasting my time is uh, all the unnecessary scenes are sort of their nods and tributes to uh, the original cast, and specifically, of course, uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, who passed away since the last movie, and um, the guy who plays uh, Chekhov, Anton, uh, what's his name, Yelchin, I think? Yeah. Um, he, he, of course, he, was, it was, he tra- passed away tragically a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so there were a couple of tributes to to the original cast, and so those were the only times when the movie really wasn't moving forward. Um, so that's that's what made it fun and enjoyable because the the plot is moving at a sufficient pace that your brain doesn't pick up on all the stupid stuff that Star Trek tends to do, mm-hmm. and and the motorcycle stuff, right? Um, so I have a lot of fun. I'm trying not to spoil it a lot because I assume you guys are interested in seeing this. Yeah. I wasn't, because of the aforementioned horribly ineffective advertising, just none... Yeah, there was a bad taste after Into Darkness, and then none of the trailers looked good to me. It just looked like, you know, psycho caffeine cam, a furious movie. Yeah, so um, it's it's got its handful of, uh, you know, eye-rolling, unbelievable moment, moments, especially in the action. Um, one scene stands out to me as being very poorly done, like very poorly conceived and shot and everything. Um, and to describe it would really, I wouldn't want to ruin it for you, but it involves um, a crew members sliding down a large ramp, and it's unclear how they escape certain death. Uh. Um, it's It was very... Um, Okay, so you guys remember Prometheus when you've got the spaceship rolling and this hel- and the hilarious, yes. hilarious, easily avoidable death that happened. Yes, this is sort of the inverse of that, where it's this really crazy, um, you know, death-defying action scene, uh, where when the scene plays out, you're sort of left wondering, I'm not clear how they survived that. And, and yet, it's still better than the factory scene from the second Star Wars prequel. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that dig in. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, this might help you zero in on my tastes. I'm very much of a line with Mike Stoklasa when it comes to my track, okay? I like it nice and slow, a slow burn, so that, you know, I can leave in the middle of the movie, go to the bank, get a haircut, get my tires irritated, come back, haven't missed anything, okay, and then when there is action, I like it to be the tense submarine warfare. You know? Like right, a yeah. yeah, you like that classic track. Obvi- this, yeah. this this movie does not break from the other uh, new Star Trek movies. It's it's very much the same kind of movie. Um, okay. as, o- only, like, the script isn't abysmal the way Into Darkness was abysmal. Okay. That's an improvement. Yeah. Uh, you, you, get, you get your usual eye-rolling uh, nods to popular culture, like um, uh, good things, like you know, tough alien orphan girl who uses uh, traps and technology and her wits to you know, you know, survive on a hostile alien planet and beat up three aliens. 
And then you have the, the bad side of that with Lieutenant Uhura um, disarming two armed and armored members of a boarding party with her bare hands. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, there's some of that stuff in there, too, where you just kind of go, uh, well, all right. It's, it, it's an action movie in current year. I guess we have to have this obligatory thing. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have the, uh, the girl power message fig. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts, Brian? Well, yes. Uh, keep your eyes out on my blog, Kairos, and Twitter and Facebook feeds for uh, some new goodies I'm going to have for my readers soon. And, of course, like I said earlier, Soul Dancer, Soul Cycle Book 2, now available on with Ethereal, both cheaper together than a single John Scalzi book. And I might have to rethink not seeing Star Trek beyond Dirtles is giving me much to ponder here. Uh, yeah. Any final, uh, any final thoughts, Dorno? Absolutely. My final thoughts on the movie are uh, go and see it. You, you will not get a great old school Star Trek experience, but you will get a fun, enjoyable uh, two hours. Uh, and by the end of the movie, uh, you'll have fun. I think you should guys should both see it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I have one final anecdote, which was kind of funny today. Uh, I had a very short Twitter conversation, very, very short Twitter conversation, with a super hot model who was a runner-up on one of the previous seasons of American Top Model, so that was kind of amusing this morning. (laughs) Uh, I love the internet. That's Twitter for you, folks. Okay, thanks for tuning in and listening. This has been Geek Gab, episode 61 for uh, Saturday, July 23rd, 2016. Thank you for tuning in. We are leaving you for today, but fear not. We will be back.